Okay, so today we're going to start chapter 35, and uh, hopefully, I think I'm going to try to put 36 and 37 together, because it's all part of um, uh, the final discourse of uh, Elihu, but uh, today in, in chapter 35, it's a, uh, it's, it's a shorter chapter, so it, it shouldn't take us very long, but it's still important. We've seen that Elihu has become the prophetic voice, if you will. He is um, he is chastising Job, uh, just like his his friends had done, and in that sense, they're uh, they sound quite alike. But the difference is that Elihu is uh, he is charging Job not with sinning that caused his suffering. He's charging Job um, with sinning in the midst of his suffering. Um, just a quick overview. We've seen from the beginning of the book of Job that Job was a, a righteous man before God because of his sacrifices and his faith. And um, he was allowed to be tested. And in that testing, he uh, endured much suffering. And when uh, all that suffering started, Job um, endured it. Uh, really well, he endured it more than better than I would have been able to for sure. Um, but uh, as the chapters wore on and these friends kept on hammering him with uh, the cause effect reasons why you have uh, gone through this, and if you wasn't such a bad person, then you wouldn't be suffering like you are. Uh, as that kept on hammering him, uh, we've seen Job change his tune just a little, and by the by the end of Job's speeches. He was, um, he was, um, I wouldn't say that he was blaming God and saying, why have you done this to me? But, but, uh, in effect that, that is kind of what he was saying because the way he phrased it was, uh, I think the last few things that he said were, you know, he was calling God out on the carpet, so to speak. He was calling God to come and judge his case. He was calling God to come and, you know, in essence, stand before him and explain to him why he has gone through this suffering. And uh, he denigrated God, in a sense, when he uh, said that God is is not coming. God is uh, not listening to me. He's silent. He's invisible. He won't appear. He won't. Uh, he won't come. And he won't talk to me. He won't. Uh, he's ignoring me. You know, and all those kind of things. And then, and then inevitably that led to Job stating that you know, well, you know, what's the point of being good? You know, and so we can see that as suffering, you know, as the amount of time passes that he is enduring suffering the more and more despairing that he gets, the more and more he calls for answers and wisdom and, and, and those things. And what Elihu is saying here is not the same thing as what the friends have been saying. He is, um, he is more concisely uh, speaking to Job about the way Job has responded to suffering rather than what has caused uh, the suffering. I mean... We know what has caused the suffering because we're the readers of the book. We know that Satan came into God's presence and, uh, you know, and Job was to be tested and God allowed Satan to come and test him. And, you know, we know all these things. But the characters in the narrative, the uh, in the story, they they don't ever get, Job doesn't ever get a definitive answer as to why he is suffering. But here, Elihu is chastising him and he is 
talking to him about how he has responded and the sinful ways that he has responded. And what's interesting to me is you could probably sum up uh, all of Elihu's speech by saying, by him asking Job, who do you think you are? Uh, Who do you think you are uh, telling God to come down and judge your case? Who do you think you are telling God he owes you an explanation? And what I see in that speech, I also see, we're going to see in in chapter 39, uh, that uh, or 38, I think, uh, that God is going to show up and God himself is going to speak to Job. And God is basically going to say the same thing that Joe, that Elihu here says. He's going to say, who do you think you are? Uh, I'm God. I'm the one who created. I'm the one who flung the stars in the sky. Uh, um, I, I, I do what I please in the heavens, and you don't have a right to tell me that I'm not doing things right. You don't have the big picture. You only have a little piece of the picture. And, you know, uh, God says all that. And we'll get, we'll get to all that. But I just wanted to make sure you understood that. Elihu is chastising Job. He is, um, you know, he's going to call him, saying he's lining himself up with wickedness and he's an evil man. He's going to do that. But the context of Elihu is different than the context of uh, Bildad and Eliphaz and Zophar. Um, Here the context is how Job has responded. Um, And so what we're going to see in chapter 35 is that God is not subject to, to man's will. He's not subject to your will. He's not subject to mine. And he's most certainly not subject uh, to Job. Uh, In the first case, God owes man nothing. And that's a common misconception, uh, even for people that are not going through suffering, is that, uh, you know, the reality is, I mean, just this is just me thinking off the top of my head, but... uh, you know, as a hospital chaplain, I see sickness. You know, whenever I'm here, um, and I'm speaking from the hospital right now, so that, that's why I say when I'm here. But for for the most part, for you know, for the vast majority of the days that we live on this earth, uh, we don't experience suffering. I mean, there are events in our lives that are tragic. Some people sure have more tragic events that shape their lives than others. Um, But for the most part, uh, most of the time, we don't experience suffering. But yet, at some point or another, we all will experience suffering. You know, how that suffering manifests itself will come in different, you know, it'll come in in, in different ways, uh, in different contexts. But um, if you're living and you live long enough, you'll, You'll, uh, you'll experience suffering in one form or another. And what's the first thing we do? Uh, just speak for myself. What's the first thing I do when I experience trial, suffering, tests, whatever? First thing I do is say, why me? Why are you doing this to me? It's not fair. It's not fair that I have to go through this. Um, that's a natural response. It's, it's one that, that I have sometimes. So I'm not saying that... Uh, that's something that's uncommon, but what I am saying is the reality is that God doesn't owe us any good days. But for the majority of our lives, we have good days. And there are some tragic days as well. There are some sufferings that we go through. But even if your life is filled with suffering, 
you know, we still, as sinners, deserve wrath and judgment, condemnation. We deserve death. I mean, so the fact that you're still breathing, the, the fact that, I mean, we have blessings that we can count. And it sounds like a big cliche. I, I'm sitting here thinking as I'm saying it, man, wow, that sure sounds like a uh, a great little spiritual tidbit, a little cliche to say, well, just count your blessings. Uh, I understand how it sounds. Um, but the reality is that we are depraved. We are utterly sinful. There's no one that does good, not even one. There's no one that deserves anything from God but condemnation and wrath. But yet we're quick to we're quick to tell God, hey, that's not fair. You're not treating me right. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, we're quick to do that. Um, it reminds me of a story. I, I wrote about it in a book called Reclaiming Victory. But when I was a little bitty child, probably three or four years old, and I'm getting I don't remember this incident. I'm I got this story from uh, my mother. But when I was a little child. She would take me to this store that was uh, across across the street from our house, and uh, I mean it was like a daily outing. It was our thing, you know. We would go to the store, and every day she get whatever it is that she was getting, and she would buy me a little toy, a little treat, a little something. It was like a department store, and so every day, I mean that's that was life as I knew it. That was life. Life consisted of every day we go to this store and every day I get a toy, I get a treat. Well, as I got a little older, uh, the day came when she could no longer afford the treats or the toys or maybe she thought I was just getting a little too selfish and needed to teach me a lesson, whatever. Uh, but she told me before we went in the store, and this is all her telling me the story, but she told me before we went into the store, yeah, we're not getting anything today. We're not getting a toy today. We're not getting... We're not." buying any treats any special things and of course i agreed but uh when you got into the store i found something i had to have and she of course she refused and she said that i followed her around this store as a three or four year old uh, yelling and crying how could you do this to your only son how could what kind of mother are you and and it was uh, it sounds pretty funny now but i don't i don't think it was too funny at the time uh, but that's the way we live life you know every day god gives us life he gives us blessing he gives us all that we have everything that we need comfort peace i mean everything's just great it's just rocking right along and then one day suffering comes and we say why are you doing this to me what kind of father are you what kind of god are you when the reality was, just like my mother didn't owe me a little treat or a toy as we entered the department store, God doesn't owe you any goodness. He doesn't owe you any blessing. Uh, he doesn't owe us anything. Everything that he gives us is by grace. And it's by grace because of his son who died on the cross for us. Jesus bought um, every every goodness that you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm talking about enjoying a sunset enjoying a book sitting out on the patio riding four-wheelers whatever it is you love to do uh, whatever it is you enjoy family time whatever that was purchased for you and it was purchased by the blood of christ because we deserve none of it so <clears throat> basically that's what elihu is going to tell job you know uh, you, god doesn't owe you anything and uh, the first four verses elihu always has to introduce what he's going to say uh, I don't exactly know why, but he says, And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? 
do you say it is my right before God that you ask what advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? Elihu says, I will answer you and your friends with you. Uh, I don't, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty bold statement. He's saying, you know, how could you, you think that God owes you? You think that you have a right to demand uh, that God come and answer your questions? That God come and, and tell you what he's doing in the outer reaches of the universe uh, because you're such a great guy? Is that why God owes you something? Um, and then Job asked, Job asked the, the question, uh, what advantage have I if I am, uh, what advantage have I, how am I better off than if I haven't sinned? He asked that question in chapter 34. Well, he, that's where Elihu addresses it again, chapter 34, the one we did before now. But Elihu says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what you where you're going off track right here. Um, first of all, he's he's telling them that that you cannot place God in your debt by your good works, nor can you place God in your debt by your lack of sinful behavior. God doesn't owe you. God doesn't owe you anything. Uh, man doesn't injure God when he sins. He doesn't change his nature. Uh, he incurs wrath. And man doesn't benefit God when he's righteous. I mean, if you do, uh, Jesus told a parable about the servant that went out and was obedient to his master. And when he came back, you know, he said, would the master say, oh, you've done great. Sit down and let me feed you. No, the master would say, you've done what's expected of you. Uh, we don't benefit God by acting in righteous ways and doing righteousness and doing good things and keeping his law. That's what's expected. You don't get an award for driving down the interstate and staying under the speed limit. That's what's expected of you. That's what you're supposed to do. And so that's what he's going to say here. He says, look at the heavens and see and behold the clouds which are higher than you. He's saying, look how transcendent the, these are. And he's comparing this to God. Look, he says, look how the heavens and the clouds are transcendent. God is is also transcendent like that. Verse 6 says, if you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? You don't, you don't injure him or hurt his character or destroy his nature uh, when you sin. And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? He said, you're not hurting God when you sin. You're hurting yourself. And verse 7 says, if you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself and your righteousness a son of man. He says, whether you're wicked or righteous, you're either hurting or, or, or harming or helping yourself. You're, God is not benefited by your righteousness. So, so you can't place God. You can't think that, uh, you know, if I do really good, God owes me, which is such a common thing. It, it's such a common thing. And, and uh, shame to say, it's even common. Even those of us who know that that's not right, uh, we tend to react as if God did owes a, owe us something. Um, just because you do good, you know, I once met a man, he was, uh, by all intents and purposes, by all standards, he was uh, zealous for God. He would go and witness door to door. and I mean, just all the time you see him working, 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 working for God. And there's nothing wrong with that. It was wonderful. I mean, it was, it was, it was really wonderful but the point of the story is that something happened in this man's life and 
tragedy struck, suffering came, as it does in all of our lives, and he departed from the faith, which showed me that he, he never had true faith to begin with, but he departed from acknowledging the faith. He apostatized from the faith, and he did so, he said, because um, that God uh, wasn't fair. All these things I've done for God, and then how could he let this happen to me? And so that was the thinking, that he was placing God in his debt by doing good things. But here Elihu is telling Job, he's saying, man cannot place God. You don't, you don't, uh, you're not racking up points that God has to honor. Uh, righteousness is what's expected of you. That's what, that's what is expected to happen. That's not extra that you get extra points for. And he tells him in, in verse 9 through 13, he tells him, you can't demand a response to God. That's been Job's clarion call uh, for the last few chapters of his speech was, you know, I just want God to come judge my case. I just want God to come and tell me where I went wrong. I want God to come and vindicate me. I want God to come and and, and, and hear my case as if he was going to a law court with God or something like that. And Elihu's going to tell him here in these verses, he's going to say, look, you can't demand that God respond to you just because you ask. Uh, in verse 9 it says, because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. He said it's universal. Everybody's going to go through sufferings. Whenever people are oppressed, they go, they cry out. And they call for help. Because of the arm of the mighty, they call for help because they're under the oppression of other people, of circumstances, events. Everybody calls for help. Everybody. Um, but here's the distinction. Uh, in verse 10 and 11, he's going he's gonna to show the distinction between those that call for help and those that call for God. It says, verse 10 says, but none says, where is God, my maker? And then the rest of the verse 10 and 11 is describing God, who gives sons in the night, songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser uh, than the birds of heaven. So all that was describing God. But you see the difference? There's a difference between calling for help, calling out in the oppression, and calling for God. In verse 10, he says, but none says, where is God? That's what the, the faithful person, the person not... When I say faithful, I don't mean working and doing faithfulness. I'm talking about the one that has a heart of faith. The one who has faith in God, he, he just wants God uh, to be God. He just wants to know that God is in control. And and that's the difference. You know, people can go through suffering. Uh, it's when they feel like life is out of control that they start to feel panicky and start to feel all these things. But the faithful, they just want to know God's in control. They, where is God? I just want to, I want my maker. I'll, I want the one who gives me songs in the darkest of night, the one who rejoices my soul. I want the one who teaches me uh, about the world and about suffering and about what's going on and makes me more wiser than the birds and the beasts and those things. Um, uh, that's the one I want. Uh, he says, none says, where is God? They're not just requesting information about their situation or a, a settling of accounts. You know, this is what Job has done. He wants information. He wants the accounts settled. He wants to know what the situation is going on. Um, what Elihu is espousing here is a call for the God of the universe to comfort. Um, and notice that the... The things that we mentioned, I already mentioned that about the, 
It's the person. It's the it's the God who gives me songs in the night. Uh, I don't know why, but that just that line resonates with me. It's you know where is the God who gives me songs in the night? That's what I want comfort in the midst of this night that I'm going through. Um, and so man cannot demand a response. Uh, they can't demand a response from God. And the reality is, God owes us no response. I mean, when I say that, let me let me clarify it and let me qualify it by saying that more often than not, God gives us a response. If nothing else, and most importantly, actually, he has given us his word. He's given us his son. He's given us, uh, he's given us everything that we need to understand um, our lives and, and the things that we go through. And that, it takes growth. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes uh, wisdom that comes from God. All those things are true. But more often than not, um, the answer is available. But here, Elihu tells Job, you know, you can't demand a response from God because he doesn't owe you a response. He doesn't owe you. He, I mean, you say, oh, I want God to come and hear my case. But God doesn't owe you the, you know, the, the right to call him down out of head of heaven, so to speak. Um, here it says, they, there they cry out, but he does not answer. It's talking about God because of the pride of evil men. And and I hope you can see, um, we said from the very beginning of this book that Job was righteous before God, but he wasn't sinless. He was righteous because of his faith. He was righteous because he was you know, obedient in the sacrifices that covered his sin and the sacrifices he made for his children. Um, but he, here in the final chapters, uh, not these chapters, but the ones before these in the final speeches of Job, um, you start to see the inner man come out. You start to see him. Um, you start to see him presuming a lot about what God owes him and, and what God uh, should do in the situation that Job's in. And it, it ends up. It ends up being prideful. We'll we'll see at the end of the book that God Himself even chastised Job. Who are you, who are you? Who do you think you are? to talk to me this way, to expect things like this from me. Who do you think you are? And it says, he doesn't answer because of the pride of men. And 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 it says, surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. The, the point being made is that uh, Job's not calling for God to comfort him in the midst of suffering. Um, there was a point in the book where Job was calling for God to comfort him. But toward the end, Job was not calling for comfort. Uh, Job wasn't even calling for God to take away his suffering. Um, Elihu is responding to the fact that Job has called God down out of heaven to judge his case and to tell him why he is suffering. Um, and, and Elihu is saying here, God doesn't hear an empty cry like that. He'll he'll hear the cry of the suffering. He'll hear the cry who needs comfort, the one who needs uh, to be strengthened, the one who needs wisdom. Uh, but he doesn't he doesn't come on the carpet just because you call him and demand 
that he come and hear your case. You demand that he vindicate you. You demand that he, he come and explain himself to you in, in such a fashion. Uh, he doesn't owe you. He doesn't owe you a response. Not only does he not owe you goodness, but he doesn't even owe you the blessing of speaking with you. And the reality is these last three verses, what we're going to see is Elihu tells Job something that is so important for us to understand. It's something that so many people don't understand. And it's something it's something that's hard it's hard to grasp unless you actually understand and accept what the Bible teaches about your heart and my heart. Um, unless you truly understand the depth of your sinfulness, you, you, you'll never understand how God being silent can be a mercy, a blessing. Um, I know it doesn't even sound right when I say it, but uh, unless you... I, I remember when I was first saved, um, it's been... 11 years or so, um, when I was first saved, I, uh, I was definitely, I considered myself the holiest person in the room and I didn't understand why all these other people weren't like me, you know, cause I'm, I, I mean, I'm saved now, I'm perfect and God is really lucky to have me. And as I grew in the faith and grew in my understanding of grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, man, I, I'm, I'm a whole lot worse than I thought I was then, and I'm a whole lot worse than I think I am now. I mean, my heart is utterly wicked. It's desperately wicked. And um, if perchance, I know it's not possible, but if perchance the Holy Spirit were to leave me, if God were to reverse the regeneration that he's done in my heart, which, again, is not possible, but just if he were to do it, I would... Even knowing what I know now, I would go right back to the cesspool of sin, the cesspool of the world that that I, that I came out of. Even knowing that that leads to nowhere, I would go right back because that's what my heart loves. But God changed my heart, and so what what Elihu's going to say, and this is a really interesting part. This is the the reason why I didn't put chapter thirty five with. 36 and 37 because it's all one speech was because of this part right here it deserves i thought it deserved its own section just because um what it says about the human condition what it says about who we are and about about what god is um let me reread verse 13 it says surely god does not hear an empty cry nor does the almighty regard it and then verse 14 he says how much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you're waiting for him. That's what Job, Job said. Job said, hey, I don't see him nowhere. I try to find him and he's not there. You know, And my case is before you. Here it is. I'm waiting for you to come judge. I'm waiting for you to come. Uh, he says, God doesn't hear an empty cry. And he doesn't, uh, the Almighty doesn't regard it. He said, how much less will he hear when you say that you don't see him? And that the case is before him and you're waiting for him. Um, and then verse 15 says, And now, because his anger does not punish and he does not take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. Um, you see what he's saying? Um, he's saying, he's saying, Job... He said, and now, verse 15 says, and now, because his anger does not punish, now you're speaking, empty words. He says, now, because 
he does not take note of your transgression. You're able to multiply your words without knowledge. Basically, he's saying, look, you better be glad that God is not coming when you call. Because if he were to come when you call, you would not, you would not walk away as squeaky clean as you think you will. He says he's at this moment, uh, his anger is not punishing you. You've transgressed. You've said that you don't see God and that his case is before him and you're waiting for him. You are calling him out on the carpet, telling him he owes, he owes you a hearing. And he says, uh, God is silent because he's being merciful to you. Because if he were to show up, his anger would punish. If he were to show up, uh, he would have to take note of your tra transgression. But verse 15 says, And now because his anger does not punish, and he does not take much note of transgression, he says because of this, in verse 16, Job opens his mouth with empty talk. He says because God is being merciful to you, you are running your mouth about him, and you're multiplying your words without knowledge. Um, if God doesn't hear the cry of the faithful, faithless how much less will he hear your cry when you say my case is waiting for you to come judge i don't see you as if god is choosing to unjustly hide from you uh, i'm waiting for you god i'm waiting for you that's what job was saying he says if god doesn't hear the faithless how do you think he's going to hear that and the picture that's drawn here is it job is standing with the word picture that i'm getting is that uh, Job is standing, it's like Job standing with his head upward. He's calling out to God, God, where are you? I'm waiting. How come you're not here? He's demanding an audience. He, he's waiting on the judgment for his case. Um, and and he's, he's insinuated that God is unjust because he has not shown up. Um, but Job is mistaking God's mercy for injustice. Elihu says that Job is talking with empty words and speaking without knowledge because God hadn't shown up. But Elihu says that God hasn't shown up because he doesn't desire to punish Job in his anger. Um, because he doesn't take note of it. Job is presuming on God's mercy. God's been silent because if he were to come, Job, man, he would face judgment, not vindication. And so would you and so would I. Uh, judgment let me be clear here. The judgment Job would face is not for sin that caused his suffering. The judgment Job would face, well, I'm sure it would be because we've all sinned, but the judgment that specifically Elihu is talking about here is Job's sin in response to his suffering, not for causing his suffering. I don't know if that made any sense, but... <clears throat> The book starts, Job is righteous before God. Suffering comes. And Job handles it well. Uh, the friends come. They try to tell Job, the reason you're suffering is because you sinned. Job rejects their counsel as well he should, because that's not the reason he was suffering. But in the midst of Job's suffering, he begins to question God. He begins to call God down from heaven saying, come judge and comes hear my case and you owe me a hearing, you owe me a response. And, you know, he, 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 he insinuates that God is unjust by not showing up right when he calls. And so Elihu is saying, look, in this, in the midst of your suffering, you've sinned. You better be glad that God is merciful to you and he hasn't shown up.
um, by not appearing on demand, God is actually being merciful to Job. And so often that's the way it is in our life. I mean, I see so many people that, you know, they, they, we, we all want answers. Why this? Why that? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Of course, the answer to that question is answered simply and biblically. Sin entered the world and creation is fallen and therefore we're fallen with it and suffering comes with a fallen creation. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, but when we start to, I don't know, accuse God of injustice, accuse God of not caring, accuse God of mismanagement of the world, of the universe, accuse God of uh, not acting in the way that we think he should act, then we step into the place of Job here and we become guilty. Uh, we become guilty. And i got to tell you, it's when God doesn't show up to answer those objections in your life, in my life, man, that's mercy. That is a merciful God. Because if I was God, and I was running this whole universe, and a little ant like me called up to him and said, Hey, you're not doing a very good job. I'd squash him. I would lightning bolt him. I know lightning bolt's not a verb, but it would be in my universe. Um, so when God doesn't swoop down in judgment, man, that's that's mercy. And Elihu is that's what he's telling Job here. He's saying, "Who who is it that you actually think you are? God doesn't owe you. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a response." He doesn't owe you a court case as you have demanded. He doesn't owe you to see him. You know, that's what Job was saying. I don't see him. I look for him and he goes away. And he's, but he doesn't owe you an audience. He doesn't owe you anything. He's God and you're not. And it's as simple as that. And um, that's that's pretty much the message. Um, in in chapter 36 and chapter 37 those are going to be the last two chapters that Elihu speaks and I put those two chapters together uh, and I'll probably just do one really brief summation of those two chapters because Elihu has made his point clear in 34 and 35 um, and chapter 36 and 37 are basically him buttressing that point by showing God's greatness and so showing the majesty of God and the the righteousness of God and the justice of God. And he's basically building a foundation under his main point that says, God doesn't owe you, man. You owe you owe God. And so uh that is uh that's the point. And then in thirty eight I'm excited, I'm I'm ready to get to it. Uh, thirty eight, thirty nine, uh, all the way all the way down through forty two uh or 41, the Lord is going to show up and he's going to speak to Job. And uh, it, it's going to be pretty harsh. It's going to be pretty harsh. In the last chapter, chapter 42, Job is going to confess and repent. And uh, and we'll see that and, and we'll, watch, we'll watch that play out. But here, the main point I want you to see is that God doesn't know you. 
and he doesn't owe me. He doesn't owe us an audience. And sometimes God's silence in the trials that we go through, man, that's the most merciful thing uh, that he can do at that point.